Welcome to Get Amplified, the podcast for tech industry leaders who want to build unstoppable teams to help their organizations execute faster. And we're back with series three or season three in the modern parlance. We're going to keep them a little bit more succinct this time. And by and large, we're going for 30 minute episodes. However, on this occasion, it being a Christmas special, and I am wearing my Santa Claus jumper, uh, not that you wonderful listeners can see, uh, we have a very special guest for you as a little early Christmas present. So Vic, you'd better start by telling us who we got. I'd be delighted to do that. Thanks, Sam. So today we have with us, and the only way I can describe and do the intro here is, gosh, just a tech legend, um, Jeffrey Moore. So Jeff, it is such a privilege to have you on the podcast today. And when we first uh, heard from the Chasm Group that you were happy to, to join us on the podcast, we talked about focusing on your new book, The Infinite Staircase, which I'm very, very keen that we get into. But when we were on our prep call um, last week, I shared with you a little bit about our tech industry leader survey. And actually the biggest finding that came out of that was that 75% of the leaders that we heard from are struggling around the problem and the challenge of prioritization. Um, And you shared with us the framework that you have around zones to win. And clearly from from this very, very recent survey of a, a global survey of tech industry leaders, this is clearly a topic that still needs addressing. So I'm, I'm going to start with a bit of a lighthearted thing. In preparation for this, I was watching an amazing talk that you did um, that's now on YouTube, and I'm sure we can, we can uh, share it with our listeners afterwards. But you talked about prioritisation and the fact that a chicken can only lay one egg at a time. And hence, um, if it is okay with you, I would love that to be the title of our Christmas podcast. It sounds good to me. It would be, if it had been Dickens, it would have been a Christmas goose, but I think a chicken, <laughs> it's close enough. It's close enough. As, as, as long as we haven't come up with a turkey, that's the only thing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, Nick. Much appreciated. Um, so, Jeff, perhaps you'd be so kind as to give us something of an intro. I mean, we've had kind of the your, your other half on the podcast previously, as it were. Um, but perhaps you could tell us your journey to where we are today, if you don't mind. Sure. So my journey actually started as an English professor. I, I did a doctorate in, in medieval and Renaissance literature. I taught English for four years at a place called Olivet College in Michigan, But we wanted to move back to California in the 70s, and there was no jobs in academics. So that's when I got involved with the software industry. And I spent 10 years in the software industry, starting in the the HR uh, kind of roles, but got into sales and then eventually into marketing. And then I had a really very fortunate career experience. Uh, I joined a company called Regis McKenna, which was the premier high-tech marketing agency at the time. This was in 1986. And it had all the great tech clients of that era. And that was where I was able to see the patterns. Let me write my first book, 
which was called Crossing the Chasm. And Crossing the Chasm was all about, well, how would you introduce a disruptive technology into a mainstream marketplace? And that went viral. It's it sold over a million copies. It's been translated into 12 or 16 languages. It's been through three editions. It's still very actively used 30 years later. So that was kind of my claim to fame, if you will. But it let me start the Chasm Group. And the Chasm Group that was, was the group that uh, took these ideas, and then we had additional books as they came along. And, and, and the way that works, by the way, is you write a book, like Crossing the Chasm, somebody says, well, you should give a speech about that. So you go in and you give a speech. And at the end of your speech, somebody comes up to you and says, you know, you should come into our company and talk about this because our company has this problem. So you go and you talk to the company and they say, well, you know, we think you should stick around and help us work through this problem together. And so you say, okay, I'll do that. And as you do that, you realize, well, actually the problem they have isn't exactly the one that I described. So you start adding little extra pages to the book or extra slide. At the time, we, we, we didn't even have PowerPoint. We had, we had these sort of things called transparencies, but you'd add a few extra transparencies to your deck and you, you'd move on. Well, sooner or later, you get, a, you get all these additions to the point that with so many additions, you thought, I have to write another book. So the second book was called Inside the Tornado and then that led to the third book called The Gorilla Game. And I just went on. And it, so there'd been seven books, but, but uh, to Vicky's point, the first and the last ones are the ones that matter. So, so Crossing the Chasm still is very active in the venture community. Zone to Win, which is the one that Vicky was referring to at the end, it's the same problem of introducing, catching the next wave, bringing the next wave of technology to market, but it's doing it inside an established enterprise. Like Vicky worked at VMware. So like a VMware bringing it to market as opposed to a startup like, like Airbnb. And it's a different problem, and, and it creates what we ended up calling a crisis of prioritization, which is what Vicky was referring to just, just, just a minute ago. And so how do you solve that crisis of prioritization where you still want to pursue your existing business very powerfully, but you also want to catch the next wave, and there's just not quite enough time or talent or, or, or capital to go around? So how do you play that game? And that's what the book was about. As I, as I said, as we, as we were starting this call, watching that video last night it just everything just made sense to me I, honestly I watched it and it was like my 22 years in tech was explained yeah yeah it was so clever I've been in in three of the different zones that you talked about but I didn't know the the right and the wrong and I can't express enough just how <laughs> How much it just clicked into place. And Thank made... you. You're having a little, little bit of a fangirl moment. Oh, I really am. I, I really am. Thank you, Sam. You, you cannot believe how entertained I am to see Vicky lost for words. <laughs> well, maybe I should say a few words about these zones because we were talking about it. Let me, let me just say a couple yeah. of words about it to yeah. put them on the table. So the, the crisis prioritization comes from the fact that there are genuinely conflicting interests inside a global enterprise at this time. So, and, and what people were doing is that we're trying to manage all the interests in one pot. And they're yes. trying to use kind of one system for managing them all together. And the, the inside of the book is that won't work. So what you have to do is kind of create different pots to put these things in. And so the four zones, three of the zones exist permanently and one zone is temporary, but the, the zones that we all know, 
you know, the performance zone is the one where you run your current business, you make your products, you sell your products. It's how you deliver value to the customers in the world this year. It's how your it's what your investors look at. It's what your performance compensation is based on. It's 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 all the it's all the stuff you would talk about in a public earnings report if you were a publicly held stock. That's the performance zone. The productivity zone is all the cost center functions that you have to run behind the scenes if you're going to have a performance zone that works. So it's all of HR, it's all of finance, it's all of IT, security, facilities, marketing, customer success, anything you don't charge the customer for directly, it's being run out of the productivity zone. So if there was no disruptive innovations, you'd be done. You'd, you, I have a two zone company, we're done. But of course, digital transformation, all the stuff that's happening, Every industry is now being disrupted, not just tech. And so that means more and more industries are saying we need an incubation zone. So the incubation zone is where you, you, you test out whether or not this next big thing that's coming down the pike is something you should participate in or not. And if so, on, on what basis? So should I try to be a first mover? Should I be the disruptor? Or is this, am I more likely to be the disruptee and I have to sort of get on this wave before it gets on me, as it were? And the incubation zone is a place where you do fast failure and you do this learn as fast, it's the, it's the agile, it's all the stuff that the Silicon Valley folks out here like to talk about. But, but it's just for that zone. And that management yeah. model is for that zone. If you try to do fast failure in the performance zone, you're going to miss quota, you're going to get fired. If yes, you do yes. fast failure in the productivity zone, you might have to go to jail. I mean, you, you're going to break. I mean, so in other words, the point is there are these three zones and the productivity zone is very process oriented. It's very rules oriented. It's very steady as you go. The performance zone is like, hey, close the quarter, dude. You know, if you have to do cut a corner here or there, come on, let's, let's go, let's go, let's go. So we have these three zones. One, the, the performance zone is very sort of action oriented. Think fast, you know, make it happen, be intuitive, do the right thing. And then the, the and if you do make a mistake, recover quickly. Um, in the productivity zone is more about no, no, no. Set it, follow the process. This will work. Stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. So that there's a guy named Daniel Kahneman who wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, and that's exactly the difference between those two zones. And then there's the incubation zone, which feels much more like startup land. And, and, and there's a whole model. The book talks about how the venture capitalists manage incubation zones and yeah. how and how an enterprise can use it. So those three zones are there. And as Vicky already pointed out, you would play the game very differently depending on which zone you're in. Yeah. But but as long as there's no trans, the fourth zone is called the transformation zone. And that's when you go all in on the new thing. And that's what creates the crisis of prioritization. Because at that point, the new thing is very demanding of resources, but it's not yet efficient and it's not yet really effective. So basically, you have to take resources out of your core business, which is very effective and very efficient, and pour them into a business that is ineffective and inefficient, and it drives everybody crazy. And by the way, your investors think you're nuts. You're, you're, you're the employee, everybody's arguing with each other. It's extremely challenging. And so the one rule of the trans, the two rules of the transformation zone, what with three, one is if you start one, you must finish it because you, you've now put your company through hell. There's no point in going halfway. It's not like, you know, Dante got to the fifth level of hell and said, Virgil, let's go back. 
right? It's like, no, mm -hmm. you got to go all the way through Inferno to get to Purgatorio, because that's problem number one. Problem number two, therefore, is you have to you can, you have to be relentlessly focused on getting this thing through, which is where the one the chicken can only lay one egg at a time. There is zero chance you could possibly do two transformations at the same time successfully. And it, I mean, it's just it's just impossible. One doing one successfully is incredibly difficult, but two is out of the question. And then the third thing is, every day in the transformation zone is a bad day. So the faster you get through that thing, the better. And, and, and while you're in it, you're gonna get the, everybody's gonna second guess you and doubt you and, and, and think you're an idiot. But as soon as you get through it, well, you're, you're a hero. I mean, you're like the most, you're, you're brilliant. You're, you're Steve Jobs. We, who knew that Apple was supposed to be in the music business? Who knew that Amazon was supposed to be in cloud computing business? Yeah. What idiot thought that Netflix with its incredible DVD business should cannibalize it with streaming? I mean, so, but then when it works, it, it works. So anyway, those it, are the it'll, it'll, it'll never catch on. It, it, well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's right, that's right. It'll yeah, never yeah, catch yeah. on, exactly. That's really, that's really interesting that, you know, the, the first bit of that, you know, the productivity and then the incubation zone bit, you know, that reminds me so much of, of my time at Softcat. You know, I never had those term, that terminology for it, but I was the guy responsible, responsible for the incubation zone. If I'd have been in productivity, I'd have hated it. Yeah. It would have bored me to tears, which I guess leads me to the question. Do you think different sort of personality types, if that's the right phrase, are suited for operating in different zones? Very much so. Very much so. And the thing that each zone has to do, the thing I, the, I, one of the things I have to install pretty early is you have to honor the other zones, even though, like, for example, people in the, in the uh, incubation zone are pretty sure they have between 10 and 20 IQ points advantage over people in the productivity zone. But, you know, they're obviously <laughs> kind of dull and we're the smart ones and they're the kind of dull ones. And, and then the performance zone people... That yesterday. <laughs> you said it on the talk yesterday and it had me laugh out loud. <laughs> I've sat in the incubation zone. I sat there for two years at Citrix when we, we were looking at whether we moved into the SMB space and I led that project. And that's exactly how we felt. And I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness, it's like you were inside my head. So, so we have to honor each zone. The productivity zone, you have to honor the fact that it is, it is setting up a stable foundation for everybody. And we need these processes if we're going to scale in any in any meaningful way. And God bless the performance zone; they're paying for everything. I mean, so 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 everybody's got a, a role in in this model. And, and, and but but to Sam's point, there's also everybody has, I think, a sweet spot zone. Yes. And then there's also another zone that they're thinking I better not ever be put in that zone yeah. <laughs> because that's just not me. And, and that's fine. But what's not good, I don't I don't like it when I see people being snarky across zones. I think everybody's yeah. got to honor the other zones. And that's the respect across the zones, isn't it? Now, where where we started with our conversation last week and, and why this is so fascinating for me is because so we've we changed the way that we work with our clients last last year and we started by doing something um, we started by saying we're helping tech organizations execute faster and and it came from actually a conversation that we'd had with um paul weefels about the fact that the tech industry the tech is so similar now it's about how organizations align their troops and that's what the key differentiator is and that's really what drives us at the amplified group so we're about helping tech organizers organizations execute faster through team experience and how people align together 
And from that, we started doing something really simple called a speed check. And in our speed check, it measures four things, which are purpose, trust, clarity and simplicity. And because simplicity is one of our core pillars, we keep it really simple. It's not a 50 page report. You get a two page report out of it. But what we found was that the lowest rated question across the industry when we do it, whether we're doing it in a, a large organization or a very young organization, is competing priorities was the lowest score and it was the biggest challenge. So when we came to put our IT leader survey together this year, we decided to include that question. So in our questions for the IT leader survey, we had, we, again, we keep it pretty simple, but it was, um, I'm inspired to go the extra mile because I have purpose. Failure and mistakes are treated as lessons. I clearly understand how my team contributes towards our goals. There's trust and belief that the best idea wins. And we don't have a lot of competing priorities. Now, um, I'm inspired to go the extra mile because we have purpose. Came in at 82%. It came in really high. Simon Sinek has been getting his message out. Yeah, way to go, Simon. Start with why. Start with why. And that had gone up 10 points in two years. Yeah. But the one we don't have lots of competing priorities, 75% of our audience came back saying we have competing priorities. And that, for me... Yeah. was a big yeah. red light that said, we need to look into this yeah. some more because there's clearly a big challenge here. So there's a couple of things that are, so, so the, the, the ways you can tactically improve that answer to that question in my view is first, when you, you want to sort the priorities into these buckets. So in other words, I w- are you still going to have to prioritize things inside the incubation zone relative to each other? because you don't have an infinite amount of money to invest. And by the way, the same thing inside the productivity zone, you're going to have to to, to uh, prioritize which initiatives are we going to put in place and invest in this year, which are we not? And in the performance zone, which products are we going to put the, the, the extra weight behind? What regions, what, what sales launches, what, whatever it is. But what you don't want to do is to try to prioritize a sales launch against a putting in an ERP system against an R&D project. Exactly. So the first thing you need to do is, is zone your business and, and sort them out. The second thing then and this is what I learned from Mark Benioff at, at Salesforce, who's just the best in the world at this, is you stack rank everything inside a zone. Yeah. And, 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 and it's really interesting to watch this happen because often the first two items that get stack ranked, they get a fair amount of you know, support. This is usually one or two outliers, but, but then you get to three, four, five, and six, and it gets muddier and muddier and muddier. And so what I see happening in boardroom after boardroom and executive leadership team after executive leadership team is people not, pri- not doing that stack ranking. And what they do instead is they, they just shove it down to the middle yeah. of the organization. And now you wonder why your organization isn't executing rapidly. Absolutely. Well, duh, they have to negotiate everything every morning. Everything, absolutely everything. And so the, one of the slides that you had in your talk had the egg timer in it. And we had put a slide out three weeks ago on LinkedIn with an egg timer and you had Horizon 2. Yeah. We're saying that needs to be a filter. of, And so when you were sharing with us about the importance of stack ranking, I'm like, hallelujah, this is the problem. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the, the truth is, it, it's a very uncomfortable conversation. To, it can be an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. To have, but if you don't have it, all you're doing is just is, is you're essentially imposing it on the people that report yeah. to you. 
Yeah. And, and, and by the way, your execution in the world will go down and you'll lose and you'll be cranky and you'll start blaming each other. And the answer is you could have solved that. You could have solved that at the beginning if you had the tough conversations. Yeah. And it's and having just, that, isn't it? Yeah, so you just have to. You have to. We, we had um, Scott Heron on, um, CFO. Oh, uh, who was like the best. <laughs> right. So Scott was at Autodesk. Yeah, he did this. Yes. They did this. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, and that, was, that was just amazing listening to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, he was talking about the importance of the decision-making process. So I've got a follow-up with um, the lady at, at Autodesk that drove that so yes. that we can so we can find out some more to share that with our listeners because it's making those difficult decisions, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and having the guts to do that. Yeah. yeah. But having everybody with you. So one of your other key messages about this was about making sure that you've got alignment of your leadership team and everybody is on the bus together because you've got one outline you've got somebody causing doubt in there that just comes down through the organization so perhaps you could just talk about that for us a little bit well it's important i mean basically and and of course i've I've been working in the last decade or two with relatively large public organizations when these organizations go through a transformation successfully in almost every case, one or more very, very senior executives has to be fired because they just simply cannot align with the thing. And they're not bad people. In fact, they got you there, but they just can't let go of whatever it was that's there, or they feel entitled to be able to have a different point of view. And if you're not in the transformation zone, you can, you can, you can work with that. But when you're under a transformation, everybody has to row in the same direction. And, and so you, you, and so this is where we call, this is why we call it a command culture in that quadrant because we're saying this is when the CEO actually more than earns their comp if they actually get, if you if you lead your company through a successful transformation I don't care how much they're paying you 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 could have you could have earned more but if you if you get paid as CEO thing and you do not lead them through a transformation or you 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 preside over a failed transformation and there are many visible CEOs have been doing that in the last you know the decade or so. Yeah, that's yeah. just a crime because you're now you're wildly overpaid. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's it takes it's it's tough, isn't it? Because you you people want harmony naturally. But yeah, I, I but heard... so 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 you, it's it's got to be authority. Yeah, it's like the yes. harmony under under uh, of North Korea or the harmony. <laughs> of, I mean, basically, it could, because it's got to be very authoritarian and it's got to be done with humility. I mean, I think Satya is was a is a great Amazing. example of this at yeah, Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think a, a, um, a benevolent dictatorship. You could call well, it. And, 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 and by the way, temporary dictatorship. Right. Yeah, yeah, In other words, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be a wartime you know, Churchill. I'm going to be a wartime yeah. prime minister, but not a peacetime prime minister. Yeah. A benevolent dictatorship with a statute of limitations. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Nicely done. Very good. Yeah. Good. Um, so. Uh, the other piece that, that springs to mind from this is, you know, I think I mentioned to you that we use Patrick Lencioni's methodology. And yes. so he talks about, so you have to have the trust there to start with. So then you can have productive conflict. And in that productive conflict, you know, we talk about, I think it was Intel that started this, disagree, but commit. So make sure that everybody's heard, but you need to commit and you need that leader to make that decision. Yes, yes. So first of all, so you, you debate, you can disagree, but the commit, when the commit happens, it's not so much that the leader doesn't make the decision, it's that somebody feels they don't, that they can opt out. So, so an opt out culture 
by uh, again, in a world where you're not transforming, you can live with a certain amount of opt-out. In fact, it's, it might even be healthy. But in a transformational world, there can be no opting out, period. Okay. Just no, no opting out. You're making me smile there because I used to describe the MWARES culture as a consensus culture. And when I'm, when I'm working with leadership teams, I say, what's the difference between commitment and consensus? Because in my experience, it's at least six months. <laughs> because if you're trying to get everybody to, well, to and, and you don't. I mean, if people feel entitled to opt out. And, and yeah. so you, you want to be really clear. If there is an entitlement to opt out, then let's make it explicit. But if there isn't, then let's make opt out a criminal offense because, yeah. because it, just, it, it, just, it just takes the air out of the balloon. Yes, I, I felt that <laughs> for seven years. Yes, and, so and the, uh, the other Sam, I think, I think Vicky needs a little extra therapy, Sam. And, I, and I'm thinking maybe <laughs> a Christmas gift that has alcohol and it might also help. So I just want you to work with her, okay? <laughs> uh, do you know what? I, I had my Christmas gift actually earlier this week because I had all my amplifiers together um, for a team meeting and it was oh, this, this. it was just wonderful. Now we had we had an external facilitator in, so we were practicing what we were preaching. We we made magic on that call, yes, Jeffrey. It yes, was exactly. just unbelievable. That's right. That's right. unbelievable. It was good fun. So, yeah, it was. It really was. Anyway, we're digressing. I'm sorry. One of your rules of you can only go through one Jayco at a time. And yeah. Yeah. the fact that we, you know, I personally experienced VMware trying to go through four. Yeah. And just yeah. how painful and how hard. It'd be like saying, was. I'm going to have open heart surgery, but why don't we do a tummy tuck at the time? And, and maybe a little plastic surgery around the eyes. It's like, no, 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 one, no. Don't, when you're on the operating table, get off the operating table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But from a field perspective and from those teams that, were in, that are in the, um, the performance zone, saying to them, you know, where are you going to invest your time? Because you've got all of these different business units going, I'm the best, I'm, and they're all competing for airtime. Yeah. Yeah. with the sales organization. And that's what I feel I'm seeing now in the clients that we're working with. Well, so, so in that world, I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if you have a portfolio of products, again, if you're not in the transformation zone, there is a competition for field, uh, field time. And it, it tends to be won by the, the products that are selling the best. And this is sort of a Darwinian sort of natural selection going on, which is, which is fine as long as you're playing with a population in a relatively stable category. But if you have to catch the next wave, the problem is the, the, new, the new offering is not as popular as the offerings in the, in the, in the performance zone, but you have to prioritize it anyway. And, and, that, that, and in fact, you have to make it the number one priority no matter what, because you have to get that offer to scale. Because if you get halfway through and start to drift, you've, you've just set everybody back you know, two or three paces. And at the end, you have nothing to show for it except kind of a, a, a tarnished reputation. So, so, so if you're going to do a transformation, you must, you must prioritize it to the point and get it to scale. By the way, once you get it to scale, I mean, then then you're you're a hero. But yeah. but until you're at scale, you're a chump. Yeah, and it, and it's getting to that ten percent. Yeah, and and and, yeah. and the la and, it's, and it's like bicycling up a hill. The last hundred yards is the hardest hundred yards, right? And and so people quit. And it's like, no, please don't quit. So Christmas is coming up, right? So it just so happens you have the perfect stocking filler <laughs> available. 
It's a stocking stuffer. Absolutely true. Well, let me tell you a little bit about it because I do care a ton about it. So when I write books, I try to staple myself to a really tough problem like that I don't know the answer to. And then I try to say, okay, let's, how, how, how would you get there? How, how would you be able to do that? And so I'm 75 years old. I've been on the planet for, you know, three quarters of a century. I'm thinking, well, you know, Jeff, what about like, like the big problem? Like, like, what the hell's going on around here? <laughs> like, how did we get here? What, what how does this, how this which is a very tough problem, right? So, so it's sort of like, could you explain, the question was, could you explain all this? I mean, if you had like a, I have two grandchildren. So the problem I gave myself is, could you explain to Noah and Elena, like, how this whole thing works? How we, <laughs> why, why we're all here? Well, exactly. And how we got here and what, what are we supposed to do now that we're here? Whoa. So anyway, um, so it's sort of like a theory of everything. I'm mean, like, okay, what's your exactly. theory of everything? So it turns out a ton of people have been writing on bits and pieces of this really well. And so, and I've been reading it uh, kind of uh, sort of recreationally for decades. So I thought, well, now wait a minute, maybe we can stitch this together. And so the, the, the first two thirds of the infinite staircase says, okay, if you start with a big bang, how do you get from the big bang to Vicky and Sam on this podcast, right? With, with, with no miracles intervening. And so it, the idea behind that is, is it's, it starts with physics, right? I mean, the Big Bang is all physics, right? But then somewhere along the line, chemistry sort of emerges out of physics. And chemistry isn't, I mean, you, you can kind of see the physics inside of chemistry, but chemistry has got a set of rules that you can't derive directly from physics. It's a new set of rules that sort of overlays on top of physics. And then you get to Earth about 4.6 billion years ago, and, and within a billion years, you get life on Earth. And you realize, well, biology is chemistry. I mean, it's all chemistry. But it's got another set of rules that you put on top of that. So they said, well, wait, maybe there's this sort of complexity emergence model. And that's where the staircase came from. And so the then question was, well, how many stairs would you need to explain this? And by the way, you know, the time is short, so you don't get like 5,000. I ended up with 11. And I don't know that they're the right 11, but each stair builds on the previous stair. And, and the bottom stairs are based on the natural sciences. And that kind of gets you to bacteria, sort of like from Big Bang to bacteria. And the middle stairs are based on Darwinism. Like, how do you get from bacteria to chimpanzees? And, and Darwin's got a pretty good way of explaining that. It, it brings in consciousness and it brings in, and then it brings in mammals. And when it brings in mammals, mammals have values and mammals have cultures even before human beings. So they, you know, the nurturing values of mammals and the, and the disciplinary values of mammals, they're really, our core religious values are actually mammalian. I mean, they're actually just a kind of an extension of our mammalian value system. So the, 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 anyway, Darwinism kind of gets you to chimpanzees. And then the top of the staircase is much more around, well, what sets human beings so remarkably apart from everybody else? And that is language. And, and, and then and all the things that build on language and the, the three I talked about were Lang after language, I said, well, let's talk about narrative stories, because that's how we understand the world. Narrative, I think, is our superpower. I think that's the human being superpowers is storytelling. But then analytics, which sort of crap detect the narratives, because some of the there may be fake news in this world. Right. So so is it, is it fake or is it real or how, how do we do that? And mathematics is a different kind of analytics which crap detects a different set of stories in science, but they're, they're both really interesting. And then that can, can create theory. So anyway, I have these 11, it, it, it's about 130 pages and it sort of goes from Big Bang to, you know, to this podcast. How does that work? Then the last third was, well, okay, that's a coherent story. I mean, it, it may not be true, but at least it's coherent. Um, 
what does that say about what we're supposed to do? I mean, how are we supposed to act? I mean, I was sort of raised to do good. Well, so what, what is goodness and where does it come from? And what authorize, if there's no divine creator, if you're not obeying the will of God, well, then what are you doing? And why, why does goodness still matter? And so that was a big deal for me to try to explain that. And then to talk about the challenges of doing it. And by the way, when I did, got to doing good, I kind of used the zones again, because I said there are zones of doing good. I mean, I, uh, once you, I get a hammer, it's going to be a nail. I'm going to hammer it one way or another. So I used the zone idea there with the doing good. And then the last chapter was called being mortal, because I think immortality creates one context for doing good. Well, mortality creates it's, it has the same function, it's just a different context. So how would you be mortal? So that, anyway, it was my attempt to sort of say, okay, this is my best, my best shot at sort of explaining everything and sort of how yeah, that tees up a moral life you know, in, in the current uh, world. And since we're having our, our politicians aren't exactly helping us with our moral life right now, I was sort of thought maybe this might be a good Christmas gift. So yeah, I, I, I'm with Sam. If you put it in your stocking, I think it'll be, it'll be really good. <laughs> Happy days. I'll get, I'll get a copy for my daughter. She'll really appreciate it. One last thing, because Rich is, is not on this call, but Jonathan and I are social media guy. So then I started playing with positioning statements for the book from Crossing the Chasm. So in Crossing the Chasm, yeah. there's this little template for telling positioning statements. And I'll just read two of them. I, put, I have seven of them, and I'm just, I just was playing a game with it. We're, we're publishing them once we, I'll give you the first one and the last one, because I think they're kind of fun. The first one was very serious. I mean, this was my real attempt to say, okay, what, who should read this book? So I wrote down, for intellectually curious readers who, who wonder how we ever got from the Big Bang to LinkedIn, because it's in a LinkedIn blog, The Infinite Staircase is a book that provides an end-to-end -end explanation of the ideas, an end-to-end -end explanation based on the ideas of complexity and emergence. Unlike books about astrophysics, molecular biology, evolution, and the like, this book knits all these topics together into one coherent narrative. So that was sort of like, okay, I wasn't terribly inspired, but I thought that was sort of accurate. My favorite one was for super smart readers who love the challenge of debunking books that claim to present a theory of everything, The Infinite Staircase presents a perfect target. Unlike books that seek to protect themselves from overreaching, this book puts it all out there and says, come and get me. <laughs> Love so that. Hoping, that's brilliant. Yeah, we that's, that's, that, that's, that's the one to that's the one to go to market with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it really is. So we'll use that when we share it. Actually, and I, I've been following your. Um, what you've just been talking about there. That you've been doing hashtag and you've been sending it out. Haven't yeah, you? So yeah, just for fun. I, I just saw for fun. that. Yeah, yeah. For that last one there, because the the thing that that has struck me most about the book, and I think it's what hopefully you were looking for, is. Gosh, how thought-provoking. Yeah, that's what's Yeah, I mean, look, look, a secular understanding of the world is, there's a lot to cover. I mean, and, and, and the stuff that's out there is amazing, but it goes, it's pretty narrow, it's pretty siloed. So yes. the astrophysicists don't really talk to the biologists who don't really talk to the anthropologists who don't really talk to the, you know, yes. English majors. So, so yeah, I, I, would, I think, I, I'm hoping that by pulling it together horizontally, it, it'll help. Yeah. So what that's just made me think of, you know, you were talking about the different zones and them having respect for each other. It's the same there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, 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 I do think we don't we don't make a lot of progress by demonizing anybody. I think we, we need but I don't think we need to give each other happy talk. I just think we ought to, we ought to honor honor yeah. each respect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So you've taken 132 pages to do to deliver what Douglas Adams summed up as 42. 
Exactly. Exactly. I mean, basically, it was a rather long, long-winded way of saying forty-two. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Right. That's absolutely brilliant. My my one question, of course, is now, now that you've given us a unified theory of everything, what do you do next? Well, I think you still have to live. I mean, this is what the being actually the being mortal one was. Was the last chapter is kind of almost it almost can stand alone because what it just says is okay, we're here for a while there was, by the way, this thing's been going on a long time before we got here. And it presumably is going to be going on a long time after we leave. So how do we fit in? And, and I was using the idea that, that ourselves, uh, our personalities, our characters in narratives. So narrative for me became the, the key stair that, that, and that there's narratives that we participate in and, and, and legacy and impact are all about choosing the narratives you wish to be part of, and then acting out those narratives in ways that, that have impact on others and that, that would carry the story forward. And keeping the play going and keeping the story forward is sort of the theme that, that kind of unites the human race. It's a little bit like a, like a, like a relay race. You know, you, you get the baton from your parents and your grandparents and you run with it for a while and you pass it on to your kids and your grandparents and, and you also pass it on to your colleagues. And if you write stuff, you're passing it on to people who read it, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, to me, that's what it's about is participating in that, in that sort of almost like a bucket brigade of, culture being sort of developed and passed down the line is and as the world changes the stuff in the buckets has to change so you're always innovating fantastic thank you so much for making time for us i'm grinning from ear to ear aren't i i mean we've just covered so much <laughs> well good it, it's, well, I'm, it's, I'm getting it's, amped myself obviously you got me amped so thank you very much <laughs> absolutely Brilliant. wonderful wow what a christmas special thanks jeffrey that was absolutely blooming magnificent i think you've you've made vicky's year in the closing minutes of it um so all that remains is for me to say thank you for listening to get amplified from the amplified group as always your comments i'm sure there will be many comments on this one and your subscriptions are most gratefully received and we wish you a very happy christmas and a magnificent new year <laughs>